maybe as way of introduction, I was reading this week about a poor man who wanted to go on a cruise all of his life. As a youngster, he had seen an advertisement for a luxury cruise, and ever since, he had dreamed of spending a week on a large ocean uh, cruise liner, enjoying fresh air and relaxing in a luxurious environment. He saved money for years, carefully counting his pennies, often sacrificing personal needs so he could stretch his resources just a little further. Finally, he had enough to purchase a cruise ticket. He went to a travel agent, looked over the cruise brochures, picked out one that was especially attractive, and bought a ticket with the money he had saved so long. He was hardly able to believe that he was about to realize his childhood dream. Knowing he could not afford the kind of elegant food pictured in the brochure, the man planned to bring his own provisions for the week, accustomed to moderation after years and years of kind of frugal living, and with his entire savings going towards the cruise ticket, he decided to bring along a week's supply of bread and peanut butter. That was all he could afford. The first few days of the cruise were thrilling. The man ate peanut butter sandwiches alone in his room each morning and spent the rest of his time relaxing in the sunlight and the fresh air, and he delighted to be aboard the cruise ship. By midweek, however, the man was beginning to notice that he was the only person on board who was not eating luxurious meals. It seemed that every time he sat on the deck or rested in the lounge or stepped outside his cabin, a porter would walk by with a huge meal for someone who had ordered room service. By the fifth day of the cruise, the man could take it no longer. The peanut butter sandwiches seemed stale and tasteless. He was desperately hungry, and even the fresh air and sunshine had lost their appeal. So hungry, he stopped the porter who was walking by and he said, tell me how I might get one of these meals. I'm dying for some decent food and I'll do anything you say to earn it. And the man said to him, why sir, don't you have a ticket for this cruise? The porter asked. Certainly, said the man, but I spent everything I had on that ticket. I have nothing left with which to buy the food. He said, but sir, didn't you realize meals are included with your passage? You may eat as much as you like. And that story is often just how we are as Christians. Right? In our Christian lives, we live like that man on that cruise ship. We forget that we have unlimited provisions in Christ. And so my heart this morning is to remind us that there's no need to live like that in your spiritual lives. But as the front of your bulletin says, you have been given everything that you need to live a godly life to live a holy life. And so I want to show you, you can actually turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter. Dima already read um, from that passage. What we're going to see this morning is kind of three incredible ways of which we see that we have everything we need to live a godly life and what we've been given at salvation. 
And they kind of come in three ways. And I'll say them like this. Because of God's power in salvation, you have everything you need to live a godly life. Because of God's provision in salvation, you have everything you need to live a godly life. And because of God's promises in salvation, you have everything you need to live a godly life. And we're going to see these truths come alive, and they come kind of right out of 2 Peter verses basically 1 through 4. And in our youth ministry, we've actually been studying this book, which is kind of why I wanted to come back to it. And I spent a few messages drawing out from these first few verses just what we have in salvation. And I was really drawn to, to Peter because when you see Peter um, in the Bible, he, he's a fun character for me to read because we kind of get to see him from beginning to end, at least in his spiritual life, right? First, we, we see him as this Galilean fisherman that Jesus comes to. He calls him from his, his life of fishing to make him a fisher of men. And then we get to watch him grow and grow in his understanding of Christ. Sometimes he's called the, the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. Maybe you've heard that before, right? Peter is this guy who is ready to say the right thing, and in, the, in a few verses later, Jesus is telling him, hey, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about the right stuff, right? He's the first guy to step out of the boat, right? He's ready to go with Jesus and walk on the water, but then he begins to doubt, and he begins to sink, and I just think that Peter's life is just this continual, what C.S. Lewis called the law of undulation. There's these troughs and peaks. And so I'm drawn to him a little bit, of his, a little bit in just who he is as a character because he, he's this guy that we get to watch and we get to see, and then we actually get to see him moving towards Christ more. He might be going up and down, but his, his overall movement is towards Christ. And in 2 Peter, we actually have kind of old man Peter, Here's his last letter, his last kind of final thoughts before he's about to go meet Christ again. And actually, if you look down real quick, you can see it in verse 12. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth. I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Verse 14, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. Peter knows, listen, I'm going to die. Things are going to change, and I want to remind you of some things. Because what I really want and what Peter wants is for these people, these believers, to be effective. He wants them to be fruitful. In fact, it says that in verse 8. It says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter's heart and I can't help but think that's part of just his own experience in his own life is to see these believers growing, to see them in a movement towards Christ-likeness. And really that's his whole purpose for this short book, is to see Christians grow. He wants to encourage them to mature in, in their understanding of Christ, in their practice of God's grace in Christ. And he's going to remind them, listen, you've got everything that you need to be able to do that. And he wants to remind them, and I guess that's my heart this morning, is to remind you that you've got everything you need because maybe, like, like the people in Second Peter, maybe it's false teaching in our own day as it was in his day. Maybe it's some kind of besetting sin that comes in and creeps into our lives 
that keeps us from, from realizing what we have and forcing us to work on our own to become godly, which will just never work. It's not my notes, but sometimes I joke that I'm a, I'm a recovering legalist. <laughs> like, I, I just wish there was a list you could give me, you know, that I could just start working because I'll do it. And that's just not the teaching we have in Scripture. No, we have the grace of Christ Lord, to help us to keep us holy. So maybe before we kind of unpack those three things that we have in Christ, I want to look real quick at verses 1 and 2 because Peter wants to show us some truths about what we have in salvation. Let's look down and actually just read verses 1 and 2. He says, Simeon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter here just wants to pinpoint a couple truths, and I don't have time this morning to spend a ton on this, but I want you to see a couple things that he says about our salvation. First, he just focuses in in verse 1 on the gospel, on the finished work of Christ. He talks about the righteousness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And what he says is, he says right there, you have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Most likely, these were just Gentile believers. They're not Jews. And, and what, what Peter's doing is he's equating, says, listen, I don't have some kind of special faith. I don't have something that just kind of happened magically to me. I have the exact same understanding of Christ and salvation that you have. And he equates it here. He says, you've obtained, it's of equal standing, right? There's not, it's not some cheaper faith that they have. They don't have something less but it's equal to his own and, and what the apostles have. And, and really the word obtained, it, it, it's, it's kind of a hard word to translate, right? But it's a key word in this passage because what it, what it really does is it carries this idea of a gift, that you've obtained something and it wasn't something you worked for. It wasn't something, some list that you did and your own righteousness. No, it came through the righteousness of Christ and it was a gift given to you. We're going to give gifts here for Christmas, and the gifts that I give my children are not because, well, Titus, you worked for it, (laughs) right? No, it's it's just a regular gift. No, Avery, like, because you were good this year, we get this naughty nice list thing in our culture. It's it's, it's basically legalism (laughs) for Christmas gifts. Is that fair to say? I don't know. We'll go with it, (laughs) right? But it's not something you work for, right? And, and, And Peter wants them to know, listen, your faith's not something you work for, it's not something that you can, obtain, you can obtain on your own. It's simply just a gift. And really, it's just the idea of it's received by divine will. And lest they be confused, lest some false teacher come in and try to tell them, no, you've got to do this, or you've got to live like this, or you, you've got to do these special things. No, your faith is a gift. It's a sweet gift from Christ through his righteousness. And that word faith also needs to be clarified. That word faith is just you're in my power to believe the gospel. The power that we've been given to believe in the gospel was a gift given by the sovereign hand of the Lord. In fact, one of my absolute favorite passages in the Bible is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I probably share this passage with our young people all the time. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And I love this. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So Peter wants them to know, listen, the source of your faith, the source of your faith is none other than God alone. And it came, he says, by the righteousness of Christ. It wasn't their own righteousness. Listen, Christ lived. He never once sinned. 33 years, he always kept God's law. He obeyed perfectly. I think to myself, man, I'm 33. I joked when I turned 33, I'm the same age that Jesus was when he went to the cross. But 33 years, I have not obeyed perfectly. But there was someone who did. There was someone who obeyed the Lord. And his righteousness is added to you and to me. So from start to finish, our salvation is an incredible, unbelievable act of God. And Peter wants them to know that. Well, look at verse 2. What else does he say about our salvation? He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For Peter, the knowledge of God is a really big deal in this letter. In fact, he already said it. He'll say it here in verse 2. He'll say it again in verse 3. He'll go on to talk about the knowledge. In fact, you can even go down into 2 Peter. The last thing that he writes in this last letter, look what he says in 2 Peter in verse uh, 18 of chapter 3. 3.18. But grow in the grace, and here it is, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Knowledge in the scripture is often tied to a relationship. And it's no different here. Peter knows that. And he wants their relationship with Christ to grow. And back in verse 2, he says, May peace, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is not addition. It's multiplication in grace and peace. He wants them to grow in the grace and peace. It's not a one-time event where you and I just get saved and go, Oh, that's so nice. Thank you, Lord. And we just kind of stop there. Oh, that's good. I'm so glad I got saved. I was up at camp and I got saved and awesome. There's more to it, right? There's more to our salvation. And Peter knows that. And he, I think he saw that in his own life. He says, listen, I want to see you grow in the grace and peace. I want to see you mature, becoming more and more like Christ. And this knowledge here, it's not just some kind of I don't know, flimsy, whimsy understanding of God. It's a deep, relational knowledge of Christ. I have in my office an illustration um, from, a, from a German artist that I bought before we moved to Czech Republic. Some of you guys may not know, but we came here to Kingsburg from Czech Republic where we were missionaries for about a year and a half. And I, I took this because I had it on the wall, and it's a picture of like a silhouette of a guy's head. And he's got a little opening at the top, like a piggy bank, And then there's just stuff kind of flying in. There's like Saturn, and there's a pie symbol, and there's different things going on in there. And at the bottom, it just says, never stop learning. And I really want that to be my life. Not only in the physical things that we learn, the things that we grow in, in our understanding of this world, but especially when it comes to my knowledge of Christ. I never want to stop growing. Right? Because growth is just simply a process, right? And it's not something that we do alone. And Peter knows that, and he wants to make sure they understand what they've been given, what they have. And so what I'd like to do is just give you three things this morning. Maybe all that's just introduction. 
which sounds kind of crazy, 15 minutes of introduction, but it's introduction nonetheless, to get to you three truths that we can see right here in this passage. And you actually notice in your Bible, there's a little bit of a break, right? Peter's kind of given his little introduction. He's grounded them in the gospel saying, this is foundational. Look what you've been given. It's a gift, right? It came through Christ. And now he's going to begin to talk about their spiritual lives, Right? He's going to begin to say, listen, if you want to grow, and the rest of the chapter, he's going to talk about what it means to grow in Christ. But he kind of, he kind of pauses maybe for just two verses, and it says, listen, before you grow, you got to know something. Before you grow, you need to understand at least what you have as you pursue Christ in your life. Because, listen, like I said, our Bible, I mean, our, our lives are just not a, a one-time thing. We just get saved, and we just kind of just pause and wait, I guess, to go to heaven. Right? But God has specific things for us to do, good works that Peter's even going to talk about in the rest of the chapter for us to do. Right? And sometimes we're like that guy on the cruise, and we forget what we already have. Right? It's almost like us, like we ever lose your glasses, and you're holding them in your hand. Like, Where are my glasses? Right? They're, they're right here. You've already got them. So let's look just at verses 3 and 4. I'm going to read them, and then maybe give you just three things for the remainder of our time this morning. He says this in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. John Piper says of this passage, it is one of the most dense passages concerning powerful godliness in the Bible. And I already said them to you, but I want to look at why it's so dense. First, because of his power in salvation, we have what we need. Second, because of his provision. And then third, because of the promises of God in salvation, you and I have everything that we need. Let's look at the first one. Because of God's power in salvation, you have everything you need to live a godly life. In verse 3, he just says, his divine power. His divine power. He's talking about his being referring back to Jesus. Right? That's the focus of one and two. It all happened through Christ when you got saved. And he says here, listen, you are my faith. It comes in power. It comes in power. We know it's a gift. We know it gets multiplied with grace and peace. But here now, he says, listen, it comes in power. And power is not something that's new in the Bible. I'm sure you guys have read the New Testament. We see in Romans 1.4, it says he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. It says, by his resurrection from the dead. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. 2 Corinthians 13.4, for he was crucified in weakness. I love this. But he lives by the power of God. Colossians 2.12 says this about us, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, which we just sang about, is the power 
that's at work in you and me. And that's a special kind of power. And it doesn't just have a one-time effect to save us, even though that in and of itself is an incredible miracle and a sovereign work of God. Listen to what Ephesians 3.20 says about that power. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. No, it's not a one-time effect. It has effects every single day in, your, in my life. That same power that raised Jesus is at work and it gets unleashed when you and I get saved. Right? We have what we need. I, I told our students that I, I, showed, I showed a clip from the movie Back to the Future to my kids. I, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because I was born in the 80s. I just love Back to the Future. I love sci-fi stuff like that. And, and there's, a, there's one of my favorite parts in the first Back to the Future movie is when Marty... Marty, he's the, he's the young high school guy. He, he's befriended Doc, and Marty goes back to 1955, and he finds Doc in 1955, a younger Doc, and he says, Doc, I got to get back to 1985, and we've got the time machine that you built, and, and I, need, I need you to help me fix it. There's a problem with it. I need to get back, and, and, and Doc says, okay, what do we need? And there's this clip, that there's this thing that sh- it shows, and, he, and all of a sudden Doc realizes that he's going to need 1.21 gigawatts of power to get Marty back to the future. And Doc freaks out. 1.21 gigawatts, and he's, he's running around the house, and, and, he, and I love it because he goes up to his wall, and he's got pictures of, like, famous inventors, and he pulls down Thomas, and he says, Tom, how am I going to generate that kind of power? I can't do it. And, he, and Marty Torres tells him how you need plutonium. He goes, oh, plutonium might be readily available in 1985 at any corner drugstore, but not in 1955. Like, I can't generate that kind of power. I think sometimes that we feel that way, right? That we can't generate the kind of power because sin has come in. Right? But, but what happens in that story with Marty, Marty goes, oh, I know there's going to be a lightning bolt at this time. And the lightning bolt comes and eventually Marty gets back to the future. And I, I told our students, listen, that lightning bolt in our lives is Jesus Christ. He's the power. He's the power that not only saved us, but sanctifies us. And you and I have that power right now where we stand and where you sit, right? And so what Peter's after, again, is this godly life. He wants to see them grow, and he wants them to understand, listen, I haven't left, God hasn't left everything to chance. He hasn't left it up to your own strength and your own abilities, but we've been given power. So because of God's provision, I'm sorry, because of God's power in salvation, we've been given everything we need. But that power also does something else. That power leads to a provision. It leads to a provision. Look down um, at verse 3. It says, His divine power has done what? It's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. That power has an effect, is what Peter's saying. The effect is that He's given you everything that you need. Everything you need, right? Not some things, not a couple of things, everything. It's all come through the righteousness of Christ. We know that from verse 1, right? And, and what he says here, he says, he uses those words, life and godliness. He's given us everything. He grants us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And Peter likes to do this. He likes to put two words together. And really that life and godliness is just simply a godly life. 
or a godly lifestyle. Sometimes um, uh, the Apostle Paul will call it our walk, right? Just in your walk. And he wants them to grow. And he says, listen, this godly life that you have, it's a process. You don't, it doesn't just come to you when you get saved, but you've got to grow and you've got to change. Paul will call it later that you are made into the image of Christ. That's what a godly life is, is like. And it's this process where God makes us holy. And God, and Peter says that God has given you everything that you need. Everything. I love when preachers say, you know what it says in Greek? It says everything. That's what it means. Like it's just, it means everything. And, and, and isn't that just a beautiful and kind of freeing truth? If you just read that in your Bible and go, that's amazing. Right? Because do you ever get, just get stuck in your Christian life? You just have that sin, maybe that, that you just can't get past? Right? You're stuck in some kind of sin that you've been hiding for so long that maybe nobody knows about? Listen, you've been given everything that you need to live a life of holiness. It came at salvation. It's working itself out in your sanctification as you pursue Christ. I said this to our students, and I'll say it again to students that are here. You can just stop living from one summer camp to the next summer camp. Right, just wait until we get up to Hume Lake where you can get that spiritual high. Everything's so great, and all the environment's perfect, and the music's perfect, and, and the lights are down low. Listen, you don't have to live like that. You have everything you need right now to live a life of holiness. You don't have to live from Sunday to Sunday just hoping that this, this passage will give me the, what I need to kind of make it through. No, listen, you can come back day after day after day, and there's power and there's provision for you to live in holiness. You have everything you need. You don't have to make excuses anymore. It's freeing. You don't have to say, oh, well, it's just, it's this guy's fault that I can't do this, and it's my family, you know, I could blame it on my dad. He was like this, and no. You've been given everything that you need to live a godly life. You say, well, Shay, I'm just ready to give up on my marriage. I, I just, I'm so sick of what's going on. I would just remind you from God's word, listen, you've been given what you need to stay in to live a holy life and to be an example to your spouse of godliness. Say, I'm so depressed. I, I've got this, this weight. The Puritans called it a state of melancholy. I think Martin Luther called it the, the darkness. Listen, you've been given what you need for that spiritual hurt. Even, even the apostle P- Paul I had the thorn in his flesh. Right? And what did, what, did, what did God tell him? Listen, my grace is sufficient for you. You have what you need. Say, listen, Shay, I struggle with great anxiety. I struggle with fears in this. I struggle with fill in the blank. You have what you need. You have every spiritual resource available. I love the way John MacArthur says it. I can't say it any better. I'm going to read you this quote. Here's what MacArthur says. He says, as Christians, we find complete sufficiency in Christ and his provisions for our needs. There's no such thing as an incomplete or deficient Christian. Our Savior's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Human wisdom offers nothing to augment that. Every Christian receives all he and she needs at the moment of salvation. Each one must grow and mature. 
but no necessary resources missing. There's no need to search for something more. That's probably why I hate mysticism. I've told my students this, and I remember this time, one of my classes at Masters, it was a youth class, I was a youth ministry major, and my, my professor stood up on his chair and he waved his hands, I hate mysticism. And I was like, I don't even know what that means, dude. You know, like, I'm not sure what that is. And he began to tell us that mysticism had crept into his staff, his youth staff. And really what mysticism just is, is just, it's applying subjectivity to our spiritual lives. We're kind of waiting for some sign from God. We're waiting for the stars to align. Right? Some people even call this a second blessing, as if God's going to come a second time and bless you again. I don't know why I'm just thinking of this. I was in a church service one time, and I saw a four-year-old girl. I've never forgotten this. Bethany remembers. We were in this church, and a four-year-old girl got up there. It's a charismatic church, and she got up there, and she goes, I, got, I received the Lord when I was four, and, or she was six, I think, at the time. I received the Lord when I was four, and I got the second blessing when I was six. And I said, where is that in my Bible? Second blessing? All I know is I've been given whatever I need at the moment I got saved. I have it all. And God hasn't left anything to chance. He's given me power, and he's provided for me Right, so I don't need a sign. Uh, Spurgeon says that this, I have a great need for Christ, and I have a great Christ for my need. Don't you love that? It's just simple. Right, so what kind of spiritual needs do you have? Listen, my Jesus is sufficient for that. He's sufficient for it. And on the flip side, that's maybe the negative as we think about some things that set him on the flip side, your life and holiness. Peter's going to go on for, for five, six, seven in those verses, and he's going to tell them, listen, this is, what, this is what a godly life looks like. Here's all the virtues. He says, listen, you've been given power and provision to live a holy life, right? And you're not going to do it on your own. And where did it come from? Look down at verse 3. What he says in the last half of verse 3, it says, it says he's given you everything that you need for life and godliness, and then here it is through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. There it is again, that knowledge, that deep, abiding, relational knowledge, that genuine knowledge. And and again, if, if he wasn't clear that it was a gift, he says he called us. He called us to salvation. It was his glory to do that. Listen, when you and I got saved, the floodgates opened up. Everything that we need. Aren't you glad that you're not responsible for your salvation? Aren't you glad that, that you don't have to muster up some kind of faith? Oh, you're going to respond. You're going to respond to God's call, right? But it's not on you, right? It's a gift that God, God gives, and the same thing is true in your spiritual life. And maybe it's just because I've seen God grow me in this. I don't do it alone, Philippians says this in, in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, he's talking about obedience to Christ, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You say, wait a second. Work out my own salvation? Shay, you've been saying we've got everything we need, and it's a work of God. Keep reading. In verse 13, in second, uh, Philippians 2. For it is God who works in you, both to will and and to work for his good pleasure. Listen, God's at work. You and I will work, but we're responding 
right? And Pastor Scott preached an incredible message on that last week. And he was talking about obedience and, and that, that God's commands are not burdensome. Right? He's given you what you need and it's a joy to live out our lives in godliness. Well, God's given us because of his power in salvation, because of his provision in salvation, we have everything we need to live a godly life. And there's one more, the third thing. Because of God's promises in salvation, you have everything you need to live a godly life. Look down at verse 4. He says, By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Here he promises promises. These, he calls them precious and very great promises. Peter's actually not super specific about what those, those promises are. And so we can, we can maybe speculate, but I think what he actually wants to do is, is show you what, those prom, what the benefit of those promises are. But I was thinking, man, what, what could these promises be? He says they're very great, they're valuable, they're the greatest. So what does it mean? I've got a little book. I think I actually have it on Kindle. It says, take the promises of God with you. And, and here's just a few things, maybe that are promises in our spiritual lives. Number one, spiritual life. You're promised spiritual life, Romans 8. How about resurrection life? How about eternal life? John eleven twenty five, First 1 Corinthians 15. How about the promise of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, 23 and Ephesians 1, 13? How about just abundant grace? Peter's already talked about that, that it's multiplied. Abundant grace. John 10.10, Romans 5.15, Ephesians 1.7, all talk about the grace of God that you are promised. How about this one? Joy. You just promised joy. Right? You ever walk around, you, you see somebody like, that person's got the spirit. I know that because I see the joy in their lives. You're promised joy in Psalm 132, Galatians 5. Strength guidance, help, all from the Holy Spirit. How about instruction from the Holy Spirit to understand the things of his word? Wisdom, we, we spent some time with the high schoolers and junior hires talking through the book of Proverbs. Wisdom, you are promised in scripture. What about heaven? What about heaven? I realize that even in this room, I'm talking to maybe some people that are closer to heaven than I am. That's a promise in scripture. You can long for heaven. How about eternal rewards? 1 Timothy 4.8 and James 1.12. These are just some of the promises that God gives us. Right? And you can come back to them to live your life in holiness. But again, Peter, Peter really isn't specific. I, I've drawn it out a little bit, but Peter's not specific. And he says there's just two benefits to these promises. First of all, he says, you've become a partaker. You may become partakers of the divine nature. And he, wait a second. Partaker of the divine nature? Are you saying that I become God, Peter? I mean, that's kind of what I thought when I first read this, that I just all of a sudden become God. You know, there's some people that teach that. The Mormons teach this. They use passages like this to say that somehow we become little gods, and I think they even talk about planets and other things that you obtain somewhere. Listen, that's not what the Scripture says. What Peter here is talking about, listen, you and I share. We share in the divine nature. We partake 
right? We just share. We don't, in that sense, become the Savior, but we partake in some of what the Savior has provided. Colossians 3.3 says it this, this way, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's a unity that happens at salvation, right? And we get to share in that life. If you never studied just, the, just that theological truth of unity, go spend some time. It's an incredible study of what happens when you and I get saved, right? We get to share. And I actually think that that's part of what he's going to go on and talk about when he talks about the virtues. He talks about knowledge and self-control in, the, in 1 Peter 1, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection. These are like some of the attributes that we share in with the Lord, right? What about the fruit of the Spirit? It's called the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience. These are all things that we get to share in right, through these promises. It's one of the benefits of the promises. The second benefit is that he says, you've escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That's in the past tense, as I understand it. He's saying, you've escaped this world. Right? The world, because of its sinful desire, because of its lusts, right, it's corrupt, and it's the, in a fallen state. And he says, listen, you used to be like that, but not anymore. You've escaped it. I, I, before we moved to Czech Republic, I had dinner with this guy. This used to happen a lot to me and Bethany, that people would be, hey, I know a guy from Czech Republic. When we were telling them we were going to go overseas, they, they would introduce us. And I remember a coworker of mine where I was working, he said, listen, i got a friend. You're not going to believe this. He's from Czech. You should come have dinner with us. And we did. And, and I remember this guy. He, he had, I think he had two kids at the time. He's married now. And um, he began to tell us a story. He said, oh, Shay, i got to tell you what I did. I was like, okay. He goes, I actually, during communism, when Czech was under communist rules, I, I actually dug down underneath a fence, and I ran for my life. And he says, I, I literally dug down under the fence to get out from underneath communism to come to America. I think he was 19 at the time he did this. At that time, he would have lost his life, most likely, if he was caught. So if he just did it. He wanted to get out of it. It was so bad. It was so corrupt. He just literally got underneath, and he came to America, and he started a construction business, and I think he lives in Southern California. Right? He got freedom. He got under the fence. And Peter says, listen, that's what happened to you and me when we got saved. We no longer were stuck in some kind of world system, some kind of corrupt lust, right? But we got out. And Peter says, listen, these are the benefits of those promises. And so I guess I guess say this morning, aren't those promises incredible? Aren't they incredible? You've got everything you need. You've got power, the same kind of power that raised Jesus You've got provision like you can't believe. I'm constantly at the dinner table with my family praying, Lord, would you continue to provide, continue to provide, right? Not just our physical needs, but we know he's going to provide our spiritual needs. Right? And then finally, there's these promises. And you can open up your Bible and you can come, and I'm, I'm not saying take the Bible out of context, but take the Bible in context and bet your life on those promises because they're going to make you more like Jesus. They're going to make you more like his son. And as you grow and do that, listen, you've got everything you need. And really, you could just sum my message up by saying that. You have everything you need. Because of God's power, because of God's provision, 
And because of God's promises and salvation, you have everything you need to live a godly life. Let's pray.